This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening. Thank you very much, first to David Solomon, for uh, arranging once again, uh, nourishing the body and nourishing the soul. Usually goes together very well. I'd like to thank him for arranging this, and it uh, should continue to be a shmirah for our community, for Muncie, and for all of us. This week's parsha, Parshas Kisavai, has in it the kolos. And if you're not aware of that, by the time laning starts, you'll pick up on it. As soon as the Valkyrie reaches it, he drops his voice, and he picks up speed, and he starts to fly through it. What many would wish, he would do that for the whole parsha. The question is, why, why is he doing it? Chavetz Chaim used to say, can you imagine someone's traveling somewhere? And he tells you, by the way, I'm going to this in the city. The guy says, oh, watch out. If you go on that road, there are landmines there. He says, really? He goes, yeah, there are landmines there. Let me tell you where the landmines are so you can avoid them. And he starts to speak to you really fast and quietly. You go to the right, take a left, goes there. He says, slow down. I have to hear what you're telling me. I have to know where the landmines are. So the Chavetz Chaim says the same thing. HaKadosh Baruch is writing these calls for our benefit. Why would we go and say them quickly in an undertone so that we can't hear them? He says, but that's a minute, so that's what we do. But he doesn't understand it. In reality, after the Holocaust, the Kleisvigar Rebbe and the DP camp, they were there, and they were laying in the Kolos. And the person, as a minute is, dropped his voice by the Kolos. And the Rebbe says, Hecher, louder. So the Valkyrie raised his voice. And again the Rebbe said, Hecher, louder. And a third time, after he raised his voice again, the Rebbe said, Hecher. And he explained afterwards, he said, there's nothing that we didn't experience that we have to be frightened from listening to those callers. So then the question is, why do we lay them now? And the explanation given is, it's right before Rosh Hashanah. It's a few days before Rosh Hashanah. And it helps us remember that nothing happens in the world by chance. The world, this can have kavelt. Everything that happens in the world is with a cheshman, it's with a purpose. As we come to the end of the year, and we come to Rosh Hashanah, and we think back to the year, and we think of all the calamities and tragedies and difficult times people may have had, it helps to remember that nothing is just by chance. Everything's with a cheshman. As you go through the Kalas, Hashem says why He does things. But there's a very interesting Pasuk that may be a little difficult to understand the connection. The Pasuk tells us in Perech of Ches, Pasuk Menvav, Tachas asher le'evarata Hashem alekecha v'tuv le'ev mirayv kol. It's because you didn't serve Hashem, v'simcha, and v'tayv le'ev mirayv kol. Now, it's one thing if someone didn't serve Hashem. If that's where the Pasuk would end, we would understand the Kolos. Because he didn't serve Hashem. So that's why there's a punishment. But instead, it's Because he didn't serve Hashem with Simcha, therefore all these calls are happening. So first of all, is that okay? Could you order somebody to be happy? You have to walk around happy. How do you order someone to be happy? And not only that, what does this mean? Do we have to be happy while we're doing a mitzvah? So I'm shaking a little bit of an ass, we have to smile. But when I'm walking home, I don't have to smile? Is it only when I'm actually doing a mitzvah that I have to smile? And I have to be happy? And when I'm taking my car for an oil change, then it's okay if I'm grouchy? 
Or do I have to be happy the whole time? Could you imagine? You know, think back to the days in Yeshiva. And let's say on a Friday morning, the Mashkiach calls you over and says, Where are you for the shmooz last night? I'm going to give you $5 kanas for missing the shmooz. And you say, I was there. The Mashkiach says, No, you weren't there, you're getting a $5 kanas. And you say, No, I was there, I was in the front row. Mashiach says, yeah, I saw you, but you weren't smiling. You came to the shmooz, but you weren't happy that you were there. You give me a $5 pass for not being happy that I'm by the shmooz? Can you imagine if you would do that? Well, who would listen to such a person? And that's what Hashem's telling us, because you didn't listen, and you didn't do things, you didn't serve Hashem b'simcha. It's, it's, it's nitpicking. You know, there's people that watch every little detail. It reminds one of the story of this elderly couple who's going shopping. And while they're shopping, the elderly wife decided to shoplift. She takes a can of peaches, and she hides it. Well, of course, there are cameras, and they catch her. She gets dragged in front of the judge. The judge says, yeah, what, what's going on? And the lawyer says, uh, she's accused of stealing a can of peaches. So the judge says, is it true? She goes, yeah. So the judge says, okay, there were six peaches in the can. Because of that, I'm going to send you to jail for six nights. So her husband's right behind her says, Your Honor, she also stole a can of peas. <laughs> Can you imagine such a person? Oh, yeah, details, you got to... It doesn't make any sense. And yet, we're going here, I, you did everything I was supposed to do. But I didn't do it with Simcha. Maybe the pshat is, there are many truths, but maybe the pshat is, that we know the Pasuk also tells us, Your children to Hashem. And if you're children to Hashem, if we really believe we're children to Hashem, then we would be b'simcha. Because even though there may be downtimes and tragedies and trauma, and different things that can happen, but at the end of the day, if we understand that everything's coming from Hashem, everything's coming from a loving Father, then even after we experience an episode that we may not be so happy with, but in general, we will be b'simcha. And that's what the Apostle is saying over here. You didn't do it b'simcha. Your whole outlook wasn't b'simcha. It shows that you don't really believe that the source of everything is Hashem. And if we understand, we are children, we are sons to Hashem, then we would have a different outlook. There was a, there was a chassid once who really wanted to go to his rabbi, of Simcha Bunim He was known to Prava Shabbos, with tremendous simcha, and he wanted to go to him. <coughs> this particular chusid was not a very happy person. He always found fault with everything. He was a very bitter person. But he wanted to go to the Rebbe. He enjoyed being around the Rebbe of Simcha Bunim. So he was traveling and traveling. He got lost. He came late. He had a hard time getting there. At the end of the day, he got stuck, and he didn't make it for Shabbos. He arrives Sunday evening and he goes to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, I don't understand. I put in so much effort to come. How come I miss coming for Shabbos? And the Rebbe told him, he says, you know, Shabbos is a wonderful time. Shabbos is also a wonderful host. We all know that if Sukkot comes out on Shabbos, Shabbos is ready to give up his laning. Shabbos will give up everything. He just wants a little mention in Musaf, but he's good with it. The same with Pesach shows up and Shuas. Even like this year, Yom Kippur shows up, Shabbos is ready, you can battle everything, just give him a little mention, and Musaf and Shabbos is good. The only day Shabbos doesn't accept is Tisha B'Av. 
Tisha B'Av wants to come on Shabbos. Shabbos says no. Why? Because Tisha B'Av is not a happy time. And Shabbos says that I can't take. I can take Sukkot, I can take Pesach, Shuas, Yom Kippur. These are all happy times. I can't take Tisha B'Av. And that's what the Rebbe told this person. He says, you wanted to come in for Shabbos, but Shabbos can't take a bitter person. Shabbos can't take a sad, a sad person. Nobody wants to be with a sad person, and nobody wants to be with a bitter person. So when we hear these callers, and we think about it, who these callers are coming from, it's coming from a loving father. We all know the saying, a tata b'lai tata, even when a father or a parent has to do something, and it looks like they don't care, but even with the punishment, they're always standing and they're always watching, and that should give a person the, the, the simcha that he needs to go through these things. Lamaisa, it is a few days before Rosh Hashanah, and people that think about Rosh Hashanah are walking around a little sad, or nervous, or depressed, or scared. People have a virus, and people want to do tshuva for them. But they're scared that they won't do tshuva properly. Ah, the Chovetz Chaim says that people think tshuva is this big bad bear that you should be scared of. He says, no, it's not so hard. You have to have karata, what you did, seviday, and Kabbalah al-Asid. We make the resolve not to do it again. Well, nice, if you think about it, the first two may be a little easy. Okay, we all feel bad, we did wrong things, no big deal. You can say seviday, no one's listening. But then you have to have Kabbalah al-Asid. You have to make a resolution that you're not going to do it again. That's a very difficult thing, especially we made the same resolution the year before, and the year before, and the year before. So how are we supposed to go and not be sad and scared during these times? So we know a very interesting thing. The Swarim tell us that many things in the physical world were created so we can understand what's going on in the physical world. We have Shabbos, it's Meina Yom Hava. So understand a little of what Eilam Haba is. We have parents, so we can understand the love of a, of a Kaddish Baruch to us. Without that, we couldn't understand that, 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 that amount of love. Only a parent to a child. So there's many things in the world like that. Let me give you another example. There's a well-known Greek mythology called the Trojan Horse. What was the Trojan Horse? Trojan Horse, different versions of it. The Greeks laid siege to Troy to the city of Troy and they couldn't get in and it went on and on and on for 10 years finally after 10 years the Greeks saw they weren't getting in they built this massive battering ram that looked like a horse and the people in Troy, the Trojans were watching them do this, they were getting frightened this big battering ram, looked like a massive horse and one day after building it for months the Greeks got onto their ships and they sailed away. The people in Troy were thrilled. Huh, they finally gave up after 10 years. They were so excited. They finally, after 10 years, were able to go out of the city. They opened up the doors. And this big horse-looking battering ram was there. And they took it inside the city. And they started to parade around the city with it, showing off how victorious they were. Nighttime came. Everybody went to sleep. And as we all know the story, the horse opens up. And inside were a bunch of Greek soldiers who hid inside there and they came out and the first thing they did was they ran to open up the doors the ships turned around, sailed back they came inside and they conquered the city that's a Trojan horse today if you have any sort of computer program 
There's also something called a Trojan. Trojan horse. Trojan would be that when a person makes a computer program, there's always a backdoor. They always create, the developers create a backdoor for numerous reasons. Let's say there's a virus, it's attacked by a virus. They can get inside through their backdoor. There's also Trojan horse they use when they make video games. People that like to play video games, a popular video game is released. They play it for a year and then, you know, it slows down. So what these people do is they start to sell you extra things. There's a Trojan horse, there's a, a backdoor. And let's say you had five lives per level. Well, they'll sell you ten lives per level. So when you start to play with your friend, he doesn't know that you bought it and you're going to start winning him. Akarish created the world but there are a few things he created before he created the world. One of those things was tshuva. The world cannot exist without tshuva. So he created tshuva in the world. It's also possible that Kajbor created his own Trojan horse. If there's a Trojan horse, mythology in the world, it could be he created a Trojan horse for tshuva as well. It could be there's a parallel course to do tshuva as well. Not mutually exclusive from the other three steps they have to take, but a parallel course. And what would that be? So if you to ask any parent, what's the biggest nachas a parent has? The biggest nachas a parent has is when he sees his children getting along. What's the biggest source of pain for a parent? Is when he sees his children fighting with each other. It's amazing, there's Yerushalmi and Peya, Perak Aleph, Alach Aleph. It tells us in the times of David and Melech, when Klai was on a very high level, but they didn't get along with each other so well, they spoke Lashon about each other, people were dying by their wars. The flip side, it tells us, by Achav, by the king Achav, when Klai was steeped in Avayda Zara, <coughs> but they didn't speak Lashon about each other. And they got along very well with each other. And there they were victorious in their wars. The Gemara is pointing out that even more important than not speaking Lashon Hara and not doing Avayda Zara is getting along with our fellow Yidin. And there's a tremendous Chazal that tells us Mutav Lahamayt Selim Beheichel Melaharbeis Machlaikis Beisrael It's better It's more pleasing It's better to put an Avayda Zara in the Heichel the base of Migdash than it is to have Machlaikas. If you think about it, Akash Baruch Hu, once again, is a parent. Bonam Atem Lashem Now the rest of the world is not Bonam Lashem. The rest of the world was created Tselem Elikim. It's only Eden that are considered Bonam Lashem. Can you imagine the pain that Akash Baruch Hu has when he sees his children not getting along? The Gemara tells us he would rather his children do avoid the Zara and get along than not. Which parent wouldn't rather that the children make trouble together than for, them to get, than for them to do the right things but not to do it together, not get along together? Imagine a parent is away from home. He works all day. He leaves before his kids get up. He comes home after they go to sleep. He gets phone calls all day from the house. The kids are fighting. The kids are fighting. He screams at them over the phone. And then he comes home. His kids are sleeping. What does he do? He goes over to the children. He's, they're sleeping. He sits on their bed. He strokes them. He kisses them. They're so sweet. And he yearns for them. And he loves them. It's no different. That's just a dogma. It's just an example of a Kurdish Baruch Hu's love for us. 
You know, there was a, a fellow named Reuven who needed to make a chasna, but Reuven had no money. So in the next city, his brother Shimon lived, and Shimon was a wealthy man. So Reuven felt bad doing this, but he had no choice, he needed the money. He figured he was going to go ask his brother Shimon for some money. He makes a long trip to the next city. He comes there. He comes in front of Shimon's, of Shimon's mansion. He knocks on the door. His door opens up. He says, yes. He says, I'm here to see uh, my brother. So the butler says, one second. And Shimon comes to the door. He sees his brother Reuven. Oh, Reuven, come in, come in. How are you? And they're talking for about 20 minutes. And then Shimon says, so what brings you to town? So I'll tell you the truth. My child is engaged. I have to make a chasna. He said, oh, my house so nice. He said, yeah. I just, I, I need some money. I was wondering if you can help me. All of a sudden, Shimon turns red in the face. He says, I knew there's a reason why you came. You didn't just come to visit me. Get out of here. You're good for nothing. Get yourself a job. And he throws him out of the house. Ruvain is broken. This, this was his only uh, hope of getting some money. His brother. So, he's getting ready to leave, but his father lives in the same town. So he goes to visit his father. And he tells his father what happened. His father didn't have much money. Gave him a few dollars. And he spoke to him a little and he went home. A few days later, Shimon, the good son, comes to visit his father. Knocks on the door of his father's house. There's no answer. Knocks again. Again, there's no answer. Starts to get nervous about his father. He starts banging on the door. Tati, Tati, you okay? You okay? And all of a sudden, the window up there opens up. He goes, who's there? He says, me, it's Shimon. Shimon, who's Shimon? He says, what do you mean, Tati? It's me, your son, Shimon. So the father looks out the window and says, listen here, I have two sons, Reuben and Shimon. If Reuben is not your brother, then you're not my son. And he slams the window shut. That's what happens with us. You know, we see people who say, how can I like this guy? He does a virus. Loving someone is not precluded because the person does a virus. It's a well-known thing that the Arizal can look at somebody, he would look at someone and see if he went to bad places and the virus that he did. So you can imagine every time the Arizal said hello to somebody, what was going through his mind. And yet we all know it was the Arizal who instituted that before diving to say, Just because someone else does a virus doesn't preclude our love for that person. They're still Banim Lashem. Rav Noach Weinberg, the Roshiva of Eshetari, would often say, he said, who loves a person the most? Who loves you the most? Which person on this world loves you the most? And the answer, of course, is your parents. And then he would ask, and which person on this world knows your faults the most? Your parents. So a person having faults doesn't mean you can't love the person. One has nothing to do with the other. And just because we may see someone, we may think that he has faults, so I can't love him, he doesn't deserve to be loved, that's not the correct way of thinking. That's not the way Kosh Baruch Hu wants us to think. And if we would go and genuinely love our fellow Yidin, then even if we didn't do such a perfect job with Kabbalah Allah Asid, we may still have some Averis that we're dealing with ourselves. But Kosh Baruch Hu sees that when you're on this world, you love his other children. So Kodesh Baruch Hu says, you belong in the plus column. I want you to stick around. Because I need people here who love my children. 
And that is what the Rizal is saying. Before we get in the morning, we start the Davin. We say, Hashem, we call Hashem our Father, our Father. Remember, if Hashem is your Father, then all the fellow Yidin are your brothers and your sisters. Let's say you look for the good in somebody and you just don't find it. So you look, you look, but you know what? This guy, that applies to everybody else. But I know this guy, it doesn't apply to him. He's, he's really... So you have to look better. You know, the 1950s and 1960s, it was a very popular thing to have dinners for the State of Israel bonds. The State of Israel needed money. And they would have dinners, they would sell Israeli bonds. And people would show up, and people would buy these bonds. In one city once, there was a big commotion because they found out that David Ben-Gurion himself was coming to one of these dinners. So you can imagine this dinner was definitely well attended by the, the upper echelons of uh, Jewish society. And all these Jews showed up. Unfortunately, the only thing Jewish about these dinners was their religion, but the entertainment and the food, unfortunately, was not Jewish at all. Not the menu, not the music, not the dancing. And there's one wealthy person there, and he's walking the hallway when he notices a young rabbi, rabbinical garb, standing over there. What's he doing here? He walks up a little closer and he notices that it's none other than Rav Mendel Kaplan. At that time he was a Rebbe in the Skokie Yeshiva. Later on he went to Philly. But he was a Rebbe in the Skokie Yeshiva. He knew him because this philanthropist also gave money to the Skokie Yeshiva. So he walks over and says, Rabbi, nice to meet you. He says, oh, nice to meet you too. He says, tell me, I don't assume you came here to uh, see Mr. Ben-Gurion. Nope. I don't assume you came here to enjoy some of our uh, you know, uh, seafood or other such food that we have here. He says, nope. So Rabbi, why'd you come? So I'll tell you why I came. I'd love to come here and watch how the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov line up to give tzedakah to help their fellow Jews. That's why I came here. Can you imagine you go to a place serving treif, there's mixed dancing, and yet... Rav Mendel Kaplan came because he wanted to watch how Yidin, who may do other affairs, but they're ready to go and write checks to help their fellow Yidin. It's always good to find an Yidin. Let's say you look, and you look, and you look, and you don't find. So you look some more. It's uh, El, we all know, when Rosh Hashanah comes, it's a big thing that we all eat pomegranates because... All the pomegranates, they have seeds in them, and they're full like Yidin with mitzvahs. The Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin, Rishlakish Omar, like the sections of a pomegranate is your base amigdash. What does that mean? So the Gemara says, Afilu Even the empty ones among you, are full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate is full of seeds. That's the first opinion. The Gemara brings another opinion. Rav Zeir Omer Mahacha. It says in a Pasuk, in Bereshus, Perach of Zion, Pasuk of Zion, Fayorach Ezreach Begadav. What happened was, Yaakov was told by Rivka to go to Esav, to go to Yitzhak to get the brachas. He said, I can't go in. He's going to realize right away, it's not me, my, my skin is smooth. No problem, she put on the goat skin on him, you should go inside. And that's why he can't see very well, he'll think you're Esau. So sure enough, he goes in, 
Yes, looks a little mixed up who it is. So he tells him, come close to me so I can kiss you. He comes close and he kisses him and he says, He smelled the fragrance of his clothing. He blessed him. Look, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field with Hashem blessed. And Rashi says, that's talking about Ganadin. So the Gemara says, Rav Zerah says, Don't read it the smell of his clothing. The smell of his baigdav. What does baigdav mean? Baigdav is somebody who rebels. He's a renegade. He rebels. So Zerah is saying that the fragrance, the smell of a yid, even of a yid who rebels, still has a good smell. Even, he says, don't read it as Begadav, Baigdav, even the smell of a Yid who does so many Averis. But if you smell him, you can still smell the smell of Ganadin in every Yid. That's what the Gemara says. Rabbi Shulmer Lau explained this very interesting with an episode that he had in 1973. 1973, we know, is the Yom Kippur War. For whatever reason, Israel was not prepared well enough different politics, they were not prepared. When the war broke out, Rishol Meir Lau at that time was in Tel Aviv. And he wanted to go and help. So he tried to find out where he can go. They didn't have anywhere to send him. The war just started. So they sent the local to the hospital in Ichalov. This hospital was set up as a burn unit. Now unfortunately, for those who fought in tanks, it's a death trap. Hospital, the tank gets hit. And the fire goes on, you can't escape, and these people got burned terribly. And the hospital, by the time he got there, was already filling up, unfortunately, with soldiers with terrible, terrible burns on them coming from the tank battalions. He's inside, and he hears screaming and yelling from coming down one of the rooms. He quickly makes his way to one of these rooms, and he sees there's two doctors there, a nurse, a soldier on the bed, and a lady next to him and the soldier is screaming and yelling and he goes over trying to speak to the soldier and the doctors like waved him away and he said what's going on he says this person is burned from head to toe there's nothing we can do for him we keep on giving him morphine more morphine and more morphine he just keeps on screaming we can't give him anymore we've told him if he stops crying for a few minutes he'll fall asleep he'll feel better but he, he just can't control so he's screaming and yelling Shavla went over to him. He tried to speak to him, but of course, the guy was screaming and writhing in pain. Nothing worked. After a few minutes, Shavla left the room because he had other rooms to go to and there's nothing he can do here. He was outside walking the hallway and you can hear the screaming the whole time. After about 12 to 13 minutes later, the screaming stopped. As soon as the screaming stopped, Shavla said he thought his heart stopped because he knew what that meant. He knew that was that. He succumbed to his wounds. Ravla quickly made his way back into the room. And he sees, which he understood later, the lady sitting next to him was his mother. And he sees the soldier sleeping peacefully. He was shocked. From one second to the next, the screaming stopped and he was asleep. He goes over to the mother and says, What happened? What did you do? So she looks at Rav and she says, Her son was burned from head to toe. His skin was raw everywhere. But I kept on searching for a place and I found right under his knee 
the back of the knee there was a small area, almost three inches by three inches, that the skin wasn't burned. So I started caressing him on those three inches, that little spot behind his knee. It's okay, mommy's here, mommy's here, it's okay. And as soon as I started to touch him there, he was comforted, he stopped crying, and he immediately fell asleep. So Vlaoch said, you see the difference, this was not the nurse, this was not the doctor, this was not his friend. This was his mother, whose whole goal in life was to make sure that he would be okay. And therefore, someone like that, who really, really cares, will search and search and search a whole body that was burnt from top to bottom. But they'll keep on searching, and they'll find that spot of three inches, and they'll find the spot to caress and to comfort. That's what it means to look into another yid. Because if you look into another yid, no matter how many avarice that person has, Every yid has that smell of Ganadim, as the Gemara tells us. It's just a matter of looking. And that's what Hashem wants us to do with His children. Because these are His children. And what happens if we look, and we look, and we look, and we don't find the three inches? And we look, we say, look, there are people out there that really are bad. This guy that I'm talking about, he doesn't even have those three inches. He has nothing. So we tell him, look some more. So he looks some more and says, I'm sorry, this guy, he's really bad. There's nothing redeeming about him. And then I would tell you that if you looked and you looked and you looked, you didn't find anything, perhaps it's time to turn your gaze and look inwards. How could it be that you could look at another yid and you can look and look and look and not find anything? You have to look inwards. What are you going to find when you look inwards? There's an interesting episode that happened many years ago when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. When JFK was assassinated, he asked anybody where they were at the time. I was in Shemaim at the time, so I don't remember. But those who were down here when JFK was assassinated, they know exactly where they were, what they were doing, everything that was going on. The world was shocked. Americans were absolutely shocked and devastated. Dr. Joe Kamenetsky who at the time was the president of Tiramisaira, asked the Vada Rosh Hashivas being led at the time of Yaakov Kamenetsky, what should we do? All the schools across the country are closing by the funeral of JFK. What should we do? So Yaakov looks at him and says, the Jews are to the nations of the world Like the heart is to the body. And if there's a moral failure in the world, it's us Jews who are implicated because we failed in our mission. It's our job to be morality to the world. And if something like that can happen, the president of the country could be assassinated, assassinated like that, we are implicated. And therefore, he said, our schools should also be closed. The elementary schools should be closed during, with all the other schools together, with all the other schools in the country during the, during the funeral. Then later, that day, some Bakram from Tervidas came to him. They were disturbed a little because they were heartbroken by what happened. They felt very, very sad that the president was shot. While they're feeling bad that the president was shot, they also felt bad thinking to themselves, maybe we're too connected to the outside world, 
we should be learning. Okay, the president was shot, not a great thing. You know, I wouldn't do it myself, but okay, things happen. And go back and learn. And this group of Bakram came to Rav Yaakov asking him if it was wrong of them to feel that way. If it was wrong to feel so connected that they're grieving for JFK. And if Yaakov turns to them and says, he remembers when he was a Bakr in Slobodka, there was an anti-Semitic priest, perhaps in those days an oxymoron, he was, or redundant actually, he was, there was an anti-Semitic priest who was making the Jews' lives crazy. The priest died. The priest died, the town was thrilled, the Bokram ran to tell the altar from Slobodka that the priest died. When the altar heard this, that the priest died, they came excited, telling him the priest died. The altar had one word response, and that was, Nebuch. So the Bokram looked at the altar and he said, no, 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 he's dead. He's not having another life, he's dead. And again the altar said, Nebuch. So he said, why Nebuch? Isn't it good that he's dead? And the altar said, that if I'm going to go and express hatred for a non-Jew it's a very short trip to expressing hatred to a Jew as well therefore I have decided to excise the meat of hatred for myself and this way never have the chance or the opportunity to have hatred for another Yid so it's worth it for me not to be upset not to be happy and to have this hate for this anti-Semitic priest, so I shouldn't have it for another year. That's what he said. And therefore, Rav Yaakov explained that we live in this country, and we too have to mourn with the rest of the country for, for the present. That's what Rav Yaakov said. Today, I don't know how good we are with that. There's a tremendous amount of hate going on. Unfortunately, in certain places, certain said I cannot step foot into that shul because of hatred. I cannot eat that food because it has a certain hachshur. I can't go to certain places. I can't go to certain simchas because certain people are there. We even have people calling all the names of Jewish murderers. That wouldn't have happened with Rav Yaakov. That wouldn't have happened with the altar. If a person excises hate from himself, this way he shouldn't hate another yid. If a person looks at another yid and he can't find it, to find something positive in him, something good in him, he has to look inwards and see how much hate perhaps does he have in himself. Because that's not something Hashem is looking for. That's not something Hashem says I need more of for my children in this world. I just want to leave you with one thought of what Hashem said we can do about that. We all doubt and we want the goals to end. So Hashem gives us a way out of this Golis. And Hashem says that there's something that we can do that He suggests will end the Golis. Hashem, pretty reliable source. We find in the Pasuk in Parshish Lech Lecha, Hashem is speaking to Avram, and Hashem says how He's going to bless him. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great. And you'll be a bracha. So Rashi brings two explanations. What does this mean? In the second Shah Rashi teaches the Pasuk as follows. I'll make you to a great nation. This is when we say in Shemun Esrei, and I will bless you. 
This is referring to when we say in Shemunas, right? I'll make your name great. That's referring to Elkei Yaakov. And then Hashem adds a very interesting thing. You may think we should end Shemunasra at the end with all of them. For example, Mogin of Ram, Mogin Yitzchak, Mogin Yaakov. So Hashem says, no, no, no. Talmud Leimer, the Hey Bracha. You will be a Bracha. The Chachaisman, the Lay Behem. We're going to end with you and not with Yitzchak or Yaakov. And therefore, it's going to say, Mogain Avram, and not Mogain Avram Yitzchak or Yaakov. We have to think about it. The Swarm tell us there's two people that a person is never jealous of a Talmud and a child. Which parent, a Talmud, a Rebbe to a Talmud, and a parent to a child? Which parent doesn't want their child to be more successful than them? You want to run faster than you? You want to hit a ball better than you? You want to learn a Tysus better than you? To make more money than you? To do everything better than you? Maybe not fatter than you. That's about it. But you want everything for your kid. And Hashem is telling Avram, I'm giving you everything. Avram, you're going to be great. And Yitzhak will be great. And Yaakov will be great. But don't worry. They won't be as great as you. That's what you tell Avram. Who wants to hear such a thing? What's the shot in that? So among the, the, the truths him, there's a beautiful teretz in the, from the Radomsk in the Sefer Kesser Teir. And I saw this teretz, but I didn't really appreciate it until I had a very interesting incident that happened. As follows. It was on a Thursday afternoon, and a friend of mine who does Tempe Shabbos called me up and said he needs some help with Tempe Shabbos. The guy he goes around delivering with is not available. Can I come? I said, sure, I can come. And I came with him. We're driving around. He told me how the whole thing works, that you don't deliver in the same neighbor that you live, so you shouldn't know the people. And he starts to tell me, tell me Hasidic guys live in this area, and Lishah guys live in that area, and this. So no one really knows who they're delivering to. They have an address, and that's it. You have no idea who lives in that neighborhood. And he said, it doesn't matter. Anybody who needs, gets, doesn't matter where they daven or what type of person they are. That Shabbos, I had guests staying by me. These guests were married for many years, maybe 12 or 14 years, and they had no children. They never had children. And they were by us for a little while, and they were telling us how they were by a Banya Ailam weekend. And they were telling me how they were by the, the weekend, and they were trying to get chizik, and it wasn't working for him. He just he didn't feel good. Came up to Shabbos, there was a Mlav Malka, and there was dancing, but he was really depressed, and he decided he's going to leave, he's going to go to his room. He was about to leave when spontaneously some guy just grabbed his hand and he made an inner circle. He always, you know, always an inner circle. And he started to dance in this inner circle. And he looks to see who grabbed him. And he sees a facetious fellow who grabbed him. And that facetious guy is holding another facetious guy's hand. And he looks this way and he sees there's a Sephardi guy holding his hand who's holding the hand of the yeshiva guy, who's holding the hand of another yeshiva guy, who's holding the hand of a modern fellow and they're all dancing in a circle. It wasn't pre-planned. And he was dancing. And he realized then, he said, we're all in it together. That's what he told me. And I started to think, wow, it's an interesting connection. Between Bona Olam, uh, between the, the Temple of Shabbos, who services everybody, and the, the Bona Olam, who services everybody. Well, that's Sunday night, that had solid dinner. And what do you think the theme was of that at solid dinner? The theme was having all the, the people who take the phone calls, 
the dispatchers, showing how quickly they dispatch and the, the equipment that they need. And then they said, never did they say when a person called up, says, okay, a uh, person having a heart attack, say, okay, what shul do you daven in? What no do you daven? They never do that. What time do you hold a time? They never do that. It's automatic. So Yid calls up, he needs help. That's it. They dispatch. And then, a few days later, I was in school. And I was leaving school. And I see there's a Rebbe standing by his car. He was stuck. I said, what's the problem? He said, my keys are inside. I said, oh, why don't you call Chaverim? He says, thank you, I already did. How long ago? Five minutes ago. Okay. All of a sudden, a few minutes later, this car pulls up. Tzishu guy gets out of the car to help this yeshiva Sharebi in a modern Orthodox school. And I realized what is this Rashi is telling us. Because the Redox just says as follows. He says, and he, this is how he learns the Rashi. I'm going to make you into a great nation, Elokei Avram. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you, Elokei Yitzchak. V'agadlet Shemech, I'll name your name great, Elokei Yaakov. That's great. We know Avram represents Chesed. Yitzchak represents Tefillah, Gvura. Yaakov represents Tyre and Emes. You may think that we're going to end everything. The Golas will be over. Mashiach will come with all of you. We're going to end with the Midah of Chesed. We're going to end with the Midah of Tefillah. And we're going to end with the Midah of Tyre. You may think, he tells Avram. Comes along Rashi says, no. We're going to end with your Midah. We're going to end with your Midah of Chesed. We're not going to end with the Midah of Yitzhak, of Tefillah, and Yaakov, of Taira. Of course Taira is so important. Of course Tefillah is important. But look at our yeshivas. Look at our schools. They're not all-encompassing. They're very specific. Look at our shoals. They're not all-encompassing. They're very specific. It's only chesed that brings everybody together. It's only chesed that doesn't ask people these questions. It's only chesed that does without asking. You go to the kaisel, to the makim hamikdash, the shara shemayim, and you daven. So you want to daven v'sikin. So you have maybe 20 minyanim. And there's still two minyanim that can't daven at the same time as everyone else. Their v'sikin is a little later. But davening is over. And all the different minyanim, you can't have one big minyan, of course. But the minyanim are over. All the different types of minyanim. And they all go to the same place, which is a guy in the back of the plaza, giving out thousands of cups of coffee, or as they call it, Nescafe, for free. Not asking anybody, what minyan did you down this morning? Did you wear a gartel? You wearing sandals when you daven? You had a hat? Where's your... No one did that. When it comes to chesed, it's b'chach ha'isman. When it comes to chesed, we don't ask questions. And that is what Rashi is telling us, says Zorodomska. When Mashiach is going to come, it is only because of the power of chesed. Because that is, what brings us together. that is what brings us together. If you feel that you're not able to go, and to do that complete shuva, you should know that loving Hashem's children itself is also a reason for Hashem to keep us here. Have a wonderful year. See you next time. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.